You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Respond, Following the Lord of Life. In this series from the Gospel of Matthew, we learn to be grounded in the presence, promises, and power of Jesus, finding faith to follow the Lord of Life as He makes all things new again. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Joan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, thanks to the families coming and visiting. Congratulations on all the new additions. Uh, we had 11 kids dedicated today. So that continues our, our uh, church's growth strategy, growth through procreation. Uh, it's my... That's my favorite joke of the year, all right? Uh, so thank you guys for, you know, I don't know how to, procreating. Someone said it, so I don't have to. Someone said it, so I don't have to. Uh, so we're, we're thankful. In all seriousness, uh, children are a gift from the Lord, and um, we're grateful that he's entrusted so many little ones to our care. Uh, got right about 200 kids under 12 every Sunday here now. Uh, if you want to wrap your minds around. Maybe some of you, that's your invitation to join the work God is doing over there in Sojourn Kids, raising up the next generation. So think about it. Uh, so this passage today uh, has kind of the, the pivotal verse of the book of Matthew. If you were, if you were to weigh the book of Matthew, we've, uh, for the guests, for visitors, we've been going through the gospel of Matthew for some months now, and we're hitting this, uh, you know, if you were to kind of put a balance up in the middle, this would be the verse that uh, on either side of this, Jesus appears different. He, he acts different, he teaches different, and it all uh, centers around, well, the verse is verse 14, which says, we got it up here, uh, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Uh, I didn't do this in the last service, but uh, this is my 11th cup of coffee, so I'm going to see. Uh, what, anybody remember what was talked about in the first 13 verses that led up to this? What was the issue? Anybody remember? Someone, that's right. Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath. Now, for those of you who haven't read your Old Testament or this is your first time ever in church, welcome. I know it's weird sometimes, but here we are. The Sabbath 
is basically the day off that God has commanded all people to practice. You get a day off. Does that make anybody, does that not seem a little bit of an overreaction? Jesus is talking about a day off and they're like, that's it, we're going to have to kill him. <laughs> you see that? In verse 14, they made a plot to kill Jesus after he had talked to them about taking a day off. <clears throat> we've seen Jesus forgive sins. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him claim to be Messiah, even though he's out in the sticks and not in the places of power. Uh, but it's once they get to this issue of rest, that's the tipping point. It just sounds so strange. Uh, I think the problem with rest, why people have such a hard time with it, it's, it's the problem with grace, which I kind of deal with people for a living. And there are few things that will make people squirm like grace. Uh, but grace can be kind of a, an abstract idea. You can't go to the store or go on Amazon now. Who goes to the store anymore? You can't go on Amazon and order a case of grace. You, you know what I mean? Uh, beliefs tend to be abstract thoughts. You can't touch them or hold them. Uh, belief becomes biblical faith when it gets in your body and moves out into the world, when it moves out into action. So for instance, uh, the belief in grace, which I'm guessing if you're at a church, there, you have some notion of believing in grace. Belief in grace could give you a great sermon on grace. Uh, it could give you a great bumper sticker on, on grace. Uh, great talking points. Faith in grace, biblical belief in grace, will give you a day off. Does that make sense? A belief, this abstract idea, will let you say certain things, but when it becomes faith and moves in, belief to be true has to show up in your body and the way you live. So the natural outpouring of an idea of like grace is something like a day off. And few things... I've been, I've been working in the church for about 15 years now. And I'm just telling you, I've talked about everything and dealt with all kinds of situations. And very few things have I seen. I would just put it, I would put it in the top three. Nothing makes people squirm like the idea of a day off. And I don't mean, so in the West, in America, in Southern Indiana, most of us, when we think of a day off, it's the catch-up day. This is the day where we're going to do all the projects that we missed this week. Here's where we're going to do all the stuff to get ready for next week, or here's where I'm going to do whatever I have to do to go back to the job I hate and make it through next week. Like, that's not a biblical day off. A biblical day off, the goal of it is delight and enjoyment. It's to go out of your way to be unproductive for the sake of enjoying all that God has given to you. So, and, and I'm just going to be honest, sorry for you visitors, like we don't always plan, we just preach through the Bible and sometimes you get a bunch of guests here on a family day and you got to talk about uncomfortable stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, we're just kind of like an old Bible church and it happens, so here we go. Uh, one of the goals, I think everybody's going to be uncomfortable at some point today, so let's just all be in it together. And um, <laughs> So how do you feel when you have time on your hands? And I, I, I don't mean catch-up time. I don't mean like, oh man, this appointment got canceled, so now I can do my expense reports. Or, I mean, here's a, here's a better way to put it. We'll turn up the heat now. How do you feel with stillness? You're sitting still, and it's quiet. How much silence can you endure?
what would happen? I don't have the power to do this. If I did, how would you feel if I removed from you the ability to listen to the radio or headphones in your car? What if, what if I became president and I said every television in America gets turned off at 8 p.m.? You don't, get to, you don't get to watch TV before bed anymore. How does, how does that feel? What happens when you're no longer productive and it gets quiet? It, when you're not productive, this is a bit simplistic, but I think it's generally true. When we get quiet, I think all of the reasons we have to believe ourselves unlovable come to the surface. I'm kind of into old maps, and there used to be a time where we weren't sure what was all around the world. This is part of the reason why I love old maps. When they get to the edge, remember what old maps used to say when we got beyond the realm of our understanding? There be dragons. They didn't know there were dragons. They just said something nasty is out there. And I think all of us walk around with this feeling of if I let it get too quiet, and whatever comes, come, there's dragons in the darkness there. There's something in the closet that's going to come out. So we just, we fill our lives with noise. Some of you parents, especially when number, kid number two comes along, some of the folks here, this was kid number one, when kid number two comes along, how do you feel when the house suddenly gets quiet? <laughs> right? You'd think you'd be like, oh, sweet, a break. But no, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody's hurt or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? There's just very few places in life where we're, genuinely comfortable or we embrace the silence and the stillness. It forces us to face our own discomfort with grace because when I have nothing left in my hands, it's so, here's that tension between belief and faith. Uh, we sing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I love that song. We sing it, we're going to keep singing it. And then what do we do? We spend our week anxiously working to make sure we're worthy of the grace that we sing about. We create checklists of all the things that we have to do to prove ourselves to the Lord that we've received his grace. You see, you ever realize how hard you work for grace? So superficially, this passage is about rest. But more underneath the core, it's about grace. And it's about the human striving, longing desire to get it right. It's about our aversion to grace. This idea that God has a one-way love for us that is no longer contingent upon our behaviors or what we have or have not done. This passage is about the human desire to be in control and impressive. And it's no coincidence that this passage, this story, comes right on the heels of last week, Jesus in this prayer to his father saying, you have to be like a little kid to get into heaven. You have to be like a child and learn how to be dependent. Not like the wise people that can't see the invitation. And now Jesus, from here to the end of chapter 12, will be faced with these confrontations by people who think they're wise, who think they're clever. And frankly, who know the Bible better than you do, better than I do. The guys that Jesus is arguing with here, uh, where Jesus is not backing down, he's not going soft. Like These are people who've dedicated their whole lives to the first two-thirds of the Bible. They're not stupid. And so, to these people who are obsessed with getting it right, who think they're clever, Jesus, in essence, tells them, you've got it all wrong. And 
If you want to go read some interesting Bible history, you just go figure out all of the different ways the people of God created rules to take the day off right. So <laughs> what's it say about the heart of God? What kind of God must we serve? That Think about the Exodus story. He brings these people out. He saves them single-handedly. And then he gives three commandments that have to do with worshiping God. And the first one about how we should live as free people, anybody know what? What's the fourth commandment? That was too long, you guys. Fourth of the top ten. The Ten Commandments is a big deal. The fourth one is the Sabbath. What's it say? The first thing God wants his freed people to know about how they should live is they should take a day off. What's that say about the heart of God? But then God's people created all of these rules to make sure they took a day off right. And here's an example. You weren't allowed to do any work. Anything that could be work was off limits. And a lot of the houses had dirt floors. And you had to be careful how you scooched your chair out from the table. Because if you scooched it wrong, you would create little furrows in the dirt floor, right? And that's digging a ditch. That's work. You're a sinner. You violated the Sabbath. You're unclean. No, you there. It just went to crazy lengths. So Jesus and his buddies are walking through a field. I envisioned Gladiator. You know that scene from Gladiator where he's running his hands in the wheat fields? I don't know if this is what it looked like, but that's what it looks like in my mind, and I'm preaching, so that's what we're going to go with. So they're walking through, and they pluck grain. How hungry would you have to be to eat raw, a grain of raw wheat or whatever it was? That doesn't sound appealing to me, but it also doesn't sound particularly strenuous. Right? So you just plop, and they're hungry. As far as I know, people get hungry every Sunday. This is not like an unusual experience. Some of you are hungry right now. You just remember Chick-fil-A is closed, right? Like, you get hungry every Sunday. It's a normal thing, and they eat it. And the, the religious professionals, the Pharisees, are like, boom, working on Sunday. So again, just as an aside, how much effort does it take to walk along and pluck a thing of grain? You know, it's not like they went into the coal mines with their backpacks, and they're walking through a field, but there you go, work, they're busted. They confront Jesus, and Jesus responds. I want you to pay close attention to this. He doesn't come with some new agey belief, or he doesn't come with some new, like, new perspective. Or he, he says, you've just misunderstood the story all along. So in verse 3, he responds to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? So listen, David is the biggest deal up to this point. The answer to this question is, yes, they've read it, but they read it wrong. They, they misunderstood what was happening, the purpose of the Sabbath. So he's not coming at their understanding of the Sabbath just yet. He's coming at their understanding of the Scriptures. Do you see that? He's, not, he's saying you're getting Sabbath wrong here because you've misunderstood the Bible. He goes again in verse 5, "'Haven't you read in the Law of Moses?' That's shorthand for the first five books of the Bible." that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, there was a need with David and his men that, that trumped the purpose of the law here. The context here allowed this thing to be okay. And similarly, you guys know there's, there's days where if you're a priest, you got to work on Saturday, which is when they went to church because of the, the uniqueness of the role, because of the uniqueness of the place, the sacredness. Jesus says, listen, don't you guys understand what the Bible is even talking about with these things? It's, it's not about hoops to jump through. In, in verse 6, he says something wild to them. He says, I tell you, there's one who is even greater than the temple here. And if they could get away with this because of where they serve, don't you guys realize I'm something that's even greater than the temple? 
He comes right out and says in verse 7, you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Verse 8, he summarizes it all. The Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. These people thought God wanted sacrifice and hoops to jump through, and Jesus says, you misunderstood what it said about David, you misunderstood what it said about the temple, and you misunderstood what God said when he said, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. This is very hard for us to get how uncomfortable and confrontational this would have been. Jesus is attacking their understanding of the three major institutions of their day. I'm going to alliterate for my Baptists. The, the scriptures of God, the Sabbath of God, and the sanctuary of God. These were, I mean, this is what all of life revolved around. And Jesus is saying, you've misunderstood all of that. It's very difficult for us to put, in a, put ourselves in a position where we would understand the offense of this, so I'm going to try, <laughs> okay? It's really tough. Now, I've got a couple illustrations. The purpose of this is for you to have a physical reaction and get uncomfortable, okay? Don't read too far into the illustrations, which you're all going to be tempted to do, but let's just agree that maybe we're all going to get uncomfortable together. I'm trying to show you how offensive this would have been to these religious people. So... We'll start easy and we'll increase in intensity. Do vegans have parades? I said, imagine a vegan parade. And in the first service, people shook their heads like, I don't know, vegans do have fun, right? They do fun stuff. (laughs) Right? Just imagine a vegan parade, okay? The vegans are parading down Main Street. And you're like, I'm going to go to that vegan parade. And you turn on the smoker and you do a whole slab of ribs and you jump in the vegan parade with your slab of ribs just like eating them like corn on the cob. That'd be weird, right? Everybody would be like, I don't know what would happen. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. If they're anything in person like they are on Facebook, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay? Well, maybe you're eating some meat at a vegan parade. Uh, maybe your father passes away, and you're, you're sitting in the funeral, and your uncle walks in, dressed in a bunny suit, carrying balloons. weird. Why would he do that? Imagine you're at a football game and someone takes a knee during the national anthem. Y'all feel that? You feel how the room got weird all of a sudden? And some of you are like, whoa, which side are you on? Which, where are you saying Jesus is? And I want you to feel how uncomfortable that is. Some of you are like biting down anger right now. Some of you are like, oh, go get them. You feel that in your body? So that feeling, we want, because what does it represent? It depends on who you're asking. But what does it represent when somebody takes a knee during that song? It's communicating something about things that we care a whole lot about on both sides of whether you're pro-knee or con-knee. Con-knee. That's what happens when you go off script. You know what I'm saying? Like, it depends on which side you're on. But you, that feeling that I think most of us have, that I certainly have right now, uh, multiply that by four, five, or six, and you'll get an idea of how upset these people are with Jesus. They would not have it. He wasn't just saying your understanding is wrong. He was saying because you've understood wrong, you are wrong. You are not reconciled with God. 
You are not safe. Your performance hasn't worked. And what's so interesting in the ministry of Jesus, you'll often hear him teach about something, and then he'll go live something. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how we pursue righteousness, how we live in the kingdom of God. And from there, what? Well, it's too many people to do crowd participation. Chapter 8 comes, and Jesus goes and he starts healing people on the margins. Compare Matthew chapter 8 with Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. Jesus, you'll so often see him teach something and live something. So he teaches this, and right after, you can see this in verse 9, it's in your Bible. Uh, it says, then Jesus went over to their synagogue. They're like, you can't do this on the Sabbath, Jesus. And he's like, really, show me your church. Where's your church at? Can't work on the Sabbath? Let me show you something. And he goes to their church, and he heals a man with a deformed hand on the Sabbath. So not only does he teach that what they're doing is okay, and they've misunderstood the Bible and the temple and, and the Sabbath, he then goes and he heals in their church on the Sabbath. And they decide to kill him for it. You, can you feel some of what is going on here and how Jesus is confronting the major institutions of their day? From this point on, Jesus, he stops teaching so explicitly. You don't get the Sermon on the Mount after this point. Once he, he learns, and we'll see this next week, he knows what they're thinking. His strategy changes. The way he interacts with outsiders changes. The way he teaches changes. Y'all, how does Jesus teach after this? Somebody say it. What's he used to teach after this? Parables. Yes. Way to go. And if you're like, what's a parable? So I want you to imagine you could go to Bob Evans with Jesus after this. Sitting down, and you could have your, I don't know, sunny side scramble. What's the thing in the bowl with the eggs? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you're talking with Jesus at Bob Evans over a biscuit. And you say, Jesus, what's heaven like? Anybody curious? I'm, a, I'm curious. How long? What will it be like? So the parables are when people say to Jesus, tell me what heaven's like. And he says, well, imagine you're walking through a field, and you trip. And you find a stone, and you cover up the, uncover the stone, and there's a treasure. So you sell everything you have to buy the treasure. It's like that. And if you're like, what's that mean? Exactly. Where before Jesus was saying, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now he's saying, well, it's kind of like a seed. It gets to the point, and this is, just, this is the teaser trailer. You can, you can buy your tickets now, free tickets every Sunday. He, his disciples pull him aside at some point, and they're like, what's with the parables, Jesus? No one understands what you're saying. Like, that's not a joke. You can keep reading Matthew. That's what they say to him. My point is, you know, his ministry begins, the arrow starts pointing to Jerusalem from this moment. They're going to into Calvary more specifically. And the way Jesus acts is different from here on out. And some of it, they just couldn't handle, they couldn't handle the confrontation of Jesus saying, you know, not only are you practicing these things poorly, but you've misunderstood the purpose of the scripture. So just thinking about the Sabbath for a second. If the Bible is a list of rules for what we have to do to be made right with God. Everybody, anybody heard basic instructions before leaving earth? Do you remember the DC talk song? Rock that thing out. It's like, I'm not saying there's nothing 
I'm not saying the Bible isn't practical or doesn't give lessons or instruction about living. But if the Bible is fundamentally, if it's prior, primarily a list of how to live to keep God happy with you, something like the Sabbath stops becoming a gift. It becomes something to get right. If the Bible is rules for earning God's approval, Sabbath becomes a hook to hang our hat on at the end of the day. So the hooks are it's whatever you do when you go home to know that you've done a good job or to know that God is pleased with you. This is why so many of us can't sit still because we want something to turn to at the end of the day to secure our place in God's family. And put yourself at home. Imagine it's Tuesday night at 8 p.m. and Jesus walks into your room. What's his facial expression look like? What's his posture and body language towards you? If it's anything other than delight and joy, you have a grace problem in your life. That's why so many of us can't sit still. So listen, you'll learn, when you have one parent and they're young, you think you're a really good parent, and you're like, man, I got nap time down or whatever. When you get two, they stop napping. Um, the second one, by the time the second one gets two or three, right, they, they struggle to nap. Little kids don't want to nap because they don't want to miss out. Have you noticed that if you've been a parent? What's going to happen? What if something fun happens while I'm asleep and older brother or older sister is going to do this? Little kids don't want to nap because they don't want to miss out. But adults don't want to nap because they want to earn something. There's few things you can do that are more helpless and apparently unproductive than take a nap. What would happen if my boss found out I took a nap? What would happen if... What would happen... We live these lives where we say we did this today and we feel peace. We didn't do this today, so we can't rest. Jesus is forcing these people to decide, will you find your rest in your works or in my grace? He's removing from them their ability to be self-assured. He's asking them to be like children. And how we run to the Bible looking for tips to do better, more, faster. For many of us to take a day off, is to take away all that we use to secure our place with God so we make even our rest a reason to boast. You know what I mean by that? I haven't, I haven't worked on Saturday in 15 years, and that's when I do whatever. We can make Christianity a thing to be good at and a thing to do right. But listen, sometimes I get worried in our church now that it's become like the pious thing is to say no. Um, and I would just say that any form of piety, any form of religious practice that insulates us from the needs of other people is at best false. If we're ever in a place where we're using the Bible, this is what the Pharisees were doing, to excuse ourselves from meeting the real needs of human beings. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, if your sheep falls down a well, you'd go save it, right? How much more important is your sheep from you? This guy's hand is deformed. I don't care if it's the Sabbath. His hand's messed up, and I can do something about it. The law of God was meant to protect and promote human flourishing. This passage is not about doing away with these, but seeing Jesus as the fulfillment. Something greater than even the temple is here. Sabbath is not done to please God. It's not a mark of varsity Christianity. Oh, you do the Sabbath. You must be serious. It's not that. Sabbath is embraced to enjoy God. We come to Him and find our rest. And I promise you, if stillness is foreign to you, 
If unproductivity for a small chunk of your time is foreign to you, it will feel terrible when you start. But I'll tell you, grace is the only state that enables true rest. And one of the ways you learn that is by taking away all of your addictions to productivity and achievement and learning how to wrestle with the question, how do I know I'm loved? Parenting brings a great temptation with this. You notice every generation is like, we're the ones that are going to parent right. which usually means we're going to raise our kids different than mom and dad raised me. So much pressure to look at your children for identity or as evidence that you're doing it right, you're smart and you're good. Well, one thing, I would say when, set a clock from whenever your most recent birth has happened. Uh, so if you have multiple kids, it resets when the new one comes. Whenever that new one hits, I think by design, you're going to be exhausted for the next 10 years at least. <laughs> Physically exhausted. And then I've been told that when they get double digits or around 12, then it becomes emotional exhaustion, right? The, the, the worries change when puberty, God help us, comes. Like, uh, uh. So some of you are like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm guilty. Of, it's like, that's the, that's the gig, man. If you're, like, if you're well-rested in your 30s, you're doing something wrong. You know, like, it should be full of busyness and exhaustion, and it's, it's hard for 95% of the people. And when you're tired for that long, you're going to say things that you wish you hadn't. You're, then you have these irrational creatures that live with you, and they do ridiculous things. And it, so when you're tired and there's craziness going on, like, it's just not going to go perfect. And you'll do all of the things that the YouTube video said, and your kid won't, do, won't respond the right way. You'll do all of the things that the book said. And my, my point is, is like when you're a parent, for a long time from here, you're going to need so much grace. So much grace. And if you don't know how to trust the Lord with your children, or to rest in His love for you, He will you'll have a whole new kind of exhaustion to deal with. It's that exhaustion of the soul where you're never sure if you've done enough. We have to learn from our children even as we teach them. And it's simply to learn to be needy and dependent, to ask for help. See, from this point on, Jesus, he'll continue his ministry. Even knowing that it will kill him. So you can learn what this means. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. He will be merciful to you. He will be obedient for you. He will die for you. He'll be raised for you. So now you can come to the end of your day. I want to take 20 seconds and think about a really bad day you've had recently. Like the day you look at and you just say, I blew it. So even when you have that kind of day, you can get in bed at the end of the night and say, how do I know I'm loved? How do I know God is for me? Where is my hope? Where is my rest? And we can become a people that say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of our rest, which means he is the Lord of all. He is the fulfillment of the promise of Sabbath, of sanctuary. He's the goal. He's the climax of the scriptures. That is what the Bible is about. It is not a roadmap to life. It is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. It is to open your eyes to the beauty and wonder of God and his love for you so that you would come to him and find your rest. So we come, all who are weary, 
all who cannot sit still, burdened by the weight of securing our souls, and in him we find our rest. Well, how do I find my rest? Take a day off. Take a whole day off and make the goal of it delight. Lack of productivity. And when you start experiencing withdrawals and anxiety and sadness, let it come and bring yourself continually to the Lord of rest. Not to please God, but to restore your humanity and experience the life of grace. This is why every week we anchor ourselves in the hope of grace and the promise of grace, not in our performance. It's not a raw, raw service, so we'll try harder this week. We come together and we remember the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He thanked God for it. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. He was crucified for you. He came in the flesh for you. He lived perfect obedience for you. After this meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. And so every week we come, and if you're wondering, how do I know if God is for me? Has the blood of Christ and the body of Christ still been broken and shed for you? Is Jesus still risen? And if we say yes, then the answer to your question is yes. You are still loved. You are still safe. And so we can come to him, have our hope renewed, and we go from here to follow. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread and dip it in wine or juice. A wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, um, and there will be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. There will be stations up front and in the back. I'll pray for us, and then, Christians, let's come celebrate our hope together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.